Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're talking about the Jesse Rostenberg incident. That's correct, the Jesse Rostenberg incident. Now, this happened clear back in 1954, at least her first experience. At really a cool sighting that involved the family. I have a link to a video over there of her talking about this. Um, she seems so believable to me. Just a average housewife from uh, the UK back in the 1950s. Uh, you know, people hadn't really heard all this stuff about UFOs yet. It's just the experience she had seemed like it was so real to her. I can't detect one bit of deception in this lady. And she talks about what happened. And then she was re-interviewed uh, back oh, maybe 40 years later or so in the, in the 90s when she was over 90 years old. Story still the same, hasn't changed. Now, this first article comes to us from unidentifiedphenomena.com. It says, the Jesse Rosenberg incident is a lesser-known UFO sighting that occurred on July 17, 1954 in Staffordshire, England. The incident is significant in UFO lore because it is one of the few cases where a UFO sighting was accompanied by physical evidence in the form of burn marks on the ground where the object was observed. The following is a list of key points and claims made about Jesse Rosenberg's incident. Now, you know, a lot of these cases, uh, we see the craft, people sometimes even have contact with the craft, but not too often that there's burn marks left behind. And this has happened in a few cases. It's always fascinating to me if they can find some some sort of chemical trace or whatever. Sometimes they do. It says, uh, number one, the sighting. Jesse Rosenberg was a 29-year-old woman who claimed to have seen a metallic orb hovering over a field near her home in Staffordshire. She reported seeing a silver disc-shaped object that emitted a bright light and made a high-pitched whistling sound. Physical effects, it says. After the object flew away, Rostenberg and her family went to investigate the site where the object had been hovering. They found a series of circular burn marks on the ground, which measured about 18 inches in, diam in diameter and were arranged in a pattern. The Rostenberg incident was investigated by various organizations, including Royal Air Force and the police. The burn marks on the ground were analyzed and found to contain traces of zinc and other materials and other metals. Some investigators suggested that the marks were caused by an unknown form of energy or radiation. Says Jesse Rosenberg was considered to be a credible witness as she had no history of making exaggerated or false claims. Her account was corroborated by other family members who had witnessed the object and the physical evidence found at the site. Now, Rosenberg incident remains a topic of debate and speculation among UFO enthusiasts and researchers. Some believe that the object was of extraterrestrial or origin, while others suggest that it may have been a secret military craft or natural phenomena that was misinterpreted. The Rosenberg incident has been subject to several books, including The UFO Experience, A Scientific Inquiry by J. Allen Hynek, and UFOs, The Public Deceived by Philip J. Glass. These books explore the incident in detail and offer different theories about what the witnesses saw. Yeah, good old Philip J. Kloss. Uh, there's more to it than this, what they're saying right here, though. This lady, when you watch the interview and this other article that we look at, she, they'll talk about that she is actually looking into this craft, and she can see occupants inside the craft. And what these occupants look like are these classic uh, Nordics or uh, tall, blonde uh, light-complected people, I guess you would say. So the case 
uh, it goes way beyond just seeing a a uh, UFO or some kind of metallic craft, you know, land and leave a burn mark. And she's looking inside and she's actually seeing the occupants of this craft. Now, whether or not these are actual occupants or these are just some sort of mirage these things create to draw us into their world, I don't know. But the description she gives is so clear and so real that we have to, you know, really consider what she's telling us here. If we believe that this ship landed in her backyard and she tells us that this ship had occupants in it, well, I'm in for a penny, in for a pound. Now, this next article comes to us from blueberrylines.com. Like I said, I'll have these links all over the Ko-Fi, the articles, and the uh, video documentary. It's fascinating, and you can just judge for yourself what you think about this case. Now, this next article is from blueblurrylines.com, blueblurrylines.com. Uh, the author uh, talks a little bit about a book that was written about this uh, sighting, this encounter with Jesse Rostenberg. And then he goes on down here, kind of gets into the meat of the article. It says, the original incident, eye contact. In 1954, Jesse Rostenberg, her husband Tony, and three young children lived in a cottage at Vicarage Farm, Ranton, Staffordshire, England. It was an old house, three and a half miles from Stafford, and without the modern conveniences like electricity or indoor plumbing, it was almost like they were quietly living in the past, but that all changed on October 21st, 1954. And you can see pictures here of this old uh, cottage, they call it, this old house. It looks like something out of the 1800s, really, there in Staffordshire, England. It says, Miss Mrs. Rostenberg was inside with her two-year-old daughter, Karen, and her two sons, eight-year-old Anthony and six-year-old Ronald, were just home from school and playing in the garden. The time was 4.45 p.m. And then it says, there's an excerpt here from this newspaper. It says, the Wolverhampton Express and Star, October 22, 1954. Midland woman says, flying saucer terrified her. Ranton near Stafford. A woman today told the Express and Star that she and her children had been terrified by a flying saucer carrying two long-haired human-like creatures and tight-fitting jerseys. The machine landed in the garden, she stated, when she heard a noise like a crashing aircraft yesterday. Mrs. Jessie Rostenberg of isolated Vicarage Farm ran out into the garden. She found her two children lying prostrate and terrified. The next house to Vicarage Farm is about two miles away. Above the children was a huge saucer-like object with a dome the front part of which was which was transparent, stated Mrs. Rostenberg. Staring at, the st staring at the children from the machine were two unsmiling, human-like creatures with long faces and long hair. Mrs. Rostenberg told a reporter that she ran to the back of the house in fright. The object then moved over the house, hovered for about 15 seconds, and then shot off at high speed from another section of the story, she's quoted as saying the object was about 15 to 20 feet in diameter. Man, this thing really impacted her, you could tell. Just imagine those two little kids staring at these aliens sitting inside of this flying, this dome flying saucer, these two people just staring at them blankly. It's got a sketch of it here, it's got a picture of her with the, these two children, well, at the time children. Captions from the Wolverhampton Express to start says, this is a sketch made today by Mrs. Rostenberg of the object that she states she saw in her garden. It appeared to be of a dull silver metal and the outer rim seemed to be revolving. Mrs. Rostenberg with her two sons, 
keeping close behind her, points to the place where she says a flying saucer hovered above her home. Wow. And then she's got like a whole diagram set up here. She describes these things as having long faces, but says like the forehead was really tall. But other than that, they look pretty human, it sounds like. And this, she's even got a diagram here of where this thing came down at, where it hovered around at. I mean, you can tell that she was really paying attention the whole time, and it sounds like it lasted for a while. UK flying saucer researcher Galvin Gibbons wrote a report for Flying Saucer News, winter 1954-55. The full report on the rent affair, which included the above illustration. So this thing was investigated pretty thoroughly at the time, it sounds like. Now it goes down here, it says the coming of the spaceships. And then it talks a little bit about the book this guy wrote and some of the things that he extrapolated from this account. So, sometimes, you know, it's, it almost seems like uh, people want to figure these things out so desperately that... Uh, they piggyback onto these accounts. I, I like to just myself just kind of stick with what the person saw and what they experienced. It goes on down here. It says the saucer's exit. It was hovering over the house, very low and completely silent. A queer round thing was standing in the air immediately over the little cottage. Their heads were in a whirl. As Jesse Rosenberg watched, appalled, the, the Vimana began to move flashing a purpley blue light from the front of it as it did so. At an angle of 45 degrees, it started to ascend, making no sound as it moved, but continuing the flashing the whole time. With a gasp of relief, Jessie ran into the house, intent on finding pencil and paper to sketch what she and the children had seen. She had looked for the stub of a pencil. The boys called out again from the garden. With fear returning once more to her heart, she ran outside to see the saucer coming back again, this time from north to south. It circled the house in an anti-clockwise direction one and a half times and then streaked skyward. It had gone at last. Man, it's almost like this thing was just circling the place, maybe, maybe trying to find someone to abduct goes on and says a section of Gibbons book describing the sighting was excerpted as an article in the model aircraft magazine talks about the story a little bit and this is rest of the story Galvin Gibbons was not a detached journalist or scientific observer he became part of the story Gibbons spoke Mr. Rosenberg's native language Dutch and it drew them closer and he became friends with the Rosenbergs making frequent visits to their home educating and advising them on the topic of UFOs in the narrative, he introduces Mr. Rostenberg first and regards it as Tony's story, not Jesse. Well, of course, if you listen to her on this interview, it, it, clearly she was the one that saw this thing first. And I think she said, even when she came back in the house, her, that her husband basically was just hiding inside. It says the second sighting was around 2.30 on the next Sunday, October 24th, 1954. So these things came back. The Rostenbergs had a friend visiting a man whose name was not given, according to Gibbons. Tony thought there was a slight possibility that the saucer had dropped something on the roof. He had a queer hunch, too, that it, that it was his turn to see something. From an, up, from an upstairs, he made his way to the roof, but found nothing, but remained to scan the skies. Suddenly, he caught his breath and stared hard at the sky toward the southwest. His premonition was right, after all. There, flying slowly along in a semicircle, was an enormous cylindrical sausage-shaped object. Tony called for Jesse, and she and their guests ran out to see the huge machine looming in the sky, not more than a mile away, and watched with him as it carried on its curved course, eventually disappearing into a bank of clouds to the north. Mr. Rosenberg came down and asked Jesse 
if it was what she'd seen, but she said no, that this was a coloss that this was colossal. The saucer-shaped machine she'd seen was much smaller. The three discussed the sighting, but at first her friend said that he had thought he had seen a dark patch where wings might have been, but after careful thought, he withdrew this idea. Gibbons reports that Tony became intensely interested in the subject of UFOs and kept a careful watch from then on, scanning the skies at every possible moment he could spare and hoping with all his heart to see another visitant. Wow. Gibbons was, a, was of the opinion that Jesse had seen a disc-shaped scout ship and aliens just as George Adamski had described, while Tony had seen the massive cigar-shaped mothership. That does seem like it would make sense. It goes on and says, On or about December 15, 1954, skywatching paid off. Tony saw a ball of fire slowly, silently moving at an angle of about 45 degrees on the horizon. It was about two or three inches across when measured at, its, at his arm's length, but when he went around to the side of the house to follow its path, it was now about 18 inches at arm's length. It seemed to be moving lower and slower until it was almost stationary. As he watched, he heard the sound of an airplane coming from the east, and as the plane got closer, the fireball suddenly moved, shooting northward at incredible speed and disappearing from sight within a few seconds. He had seen another flying saucer! Exclamation point. So these things are just coming and going all the time now, it seems like. So you kind of get an idea here. The famous case is the first case that this gal sees. She sees the saucer. She sees the two long-haired kind of Nordic aliens with the kids. It hovers around the house. It leaves. The husband gets, you know, it sounds like the husband was pretty well scared to death hiding inside the house from what she said in the interview. But then these things start coming back repeatedly, and the husband's beginning to see him. So first you have this big giant cigar-shaped UFO. Now you got the fireball. It says the family's transformation. The aftermath of the sightings on the family is discussed in Chapter 8. That's the book this guy wrote. Gibbons' book, Jesse told him that afterward her daughter Karen seemed to cry constantly and the two boys had become unruly and disrespectful. I can see a tremendous change in them. Whether it's a reaction after their fright or what, I don't know. But they were much naughtier now than they had ever been than before it had happened. Jesse herself was stressed and had a blotchy rash on her skin. It's on my face and arms, and I don't know what it is. Now, these are oftentimes associated with radiation, I think. And we, you hear about this a lot with people. Her condition had developed sometime after the sighting, and Gibbons asked if she knew the cause. Just nerves, the same as my edginess and bad temper. Gibbons noted, nervous strain will do peculiar things to the human body. I hoped that these bad after effects would soon wear off. As I explained to Mrs. Rostenberg, I was sure that the men in the saucer had no intention of frightening her and the children. Well, I'm not sure they cared. I mean, they parked themselves in front of these kids and just stared at them like a couple of, you know, extraterrestrial stalkers. Jesse made no mention of having any other symptoms or receiving any medical treatment. When Gibbons visited the Rostenbergs in their new home south edge of Stafford in March, May of 1955, he found them all changed for the better. He asked Mrs. Mr. Rostenberg what had made the difference, and Tony almost sounded like they were fleeing a haunted house. That old cottage, he answered without hesitation. Ever since that UFO hovered over it, something snapped there, and almost made us snap too. The move was the move has made a different family for us, and that's a fact. Asked if he had seen any more UFOs, Tony replied, 
not since that last one but I'm still looking now that's weird it's almost like this, these UFO sightings are attached to this place we hear this sometimes Gibbons could see no motive for a hoax and he was convinced of their sincerity I have gained some new friends I often visit them in their in their new home and we talk over the happenings of the day when the saucer came the children and it's best so have forgotten the incident but for Jesse and Tony Rosenberg it is a good memory now that the fear has gone and they are almost beginning to wish that the Vimana would pay them a second visit. Almost, I think, they said. Almost. Yeah, they were definitely impacted by the same. You can see this is how it's such it's such an out of the ordinary thing. I think sometimes when people have these close UFO encounters, especially um, if they're not able to compartmentalize it a little bit, just kind of put that off in the corner of their head as an unsolved mystery. It can really cause them a lot of anxiety. Now it goes on, it says 1956 to 57, more flying saucers. Gavin Gibbons briefly returned to the Rosenberg case in his follow-up book, The Road in Spaceships, 1957, but continues the story describing the lesser-known aftermath and further sightings by the family. Tony Rosenberg could hardly be said to court notoriety. He got more and more weary of his references to his experiences. He certainly did not seek money. He and his family have gained nothing from an experience now largely forgotten by the children. After summarizing both the original sighting, Tony's rooftop sighting of the cigar-shaped UFO, Gibbons states he was to see another spaceship later on, probably of Mana, but this was, has no direct bearing on the argument. An asterisk leads to a footnote about three further sightings by the Rosenbergs, even after they moved from Ratton to Stafford. In the first one, the Rosenbergs' daughter, instead of the boys, takes on the role of the surrounding summoning cry. Sightings in the Stafford area are still taking place. On December 5, 1956, Mrs. Rostenberg was called into the garden of their Stanford home by Karen. A bright orange disc, probably of a mana or scout ship, was overheard, seen by neighbors. It disappeared in the direction of Seaford. On January 1957, an orange glowing cigar-shaped Vunu was seen by many people flying northwards over Stafford towards Stokes on Trent. Witnesses included Tony, Jesse, and Karen Rostenberg and Mrs. Daniels, wife of Wilford Daniels, the Stafford UFO expert. On the 13th of May, 1957, a silvery Vunu was seen over the west of Stafford by Mrs. Rostenberg, a neighbor, Mrs. Violet Wilding, and several other witnesses in the area. Man, so these things just kept on coming along here. Talks a little bit about says spiritualism, psychic powers, and ESP. Then it talks a little bit about a second investigator here uh, in this area of Staffordshire, UK. It says, at the same time Gibbons was working the case, so was another. Wilfred Daniels was a UFO researcher living in Stanford. He reported on the local sightings and interviewed Ms. Mrs. Rostenberg and was the first to disclose her psychic or ESP claims in Flying Saucer Review, Volume 1, Number 3, 1955, Flying Saucers and the Psychic by Wilfred Daniels. Here's a summary of what the UFO historian Lauren Gross from The Fifth Horseman of the Apocalypse of the Apocalypse UFOs, A History, 1954, October, says. According to UFO researcher Wilfred Daniels, Mrs. Rostenberg had for years felt she was a psychic and that for a number of hours prior to the spaceship appearance, she had a queer feeling something was about to happen. At least that was her peculiar claim. Years before, during a seance, a medium directed a comment to Mrs. Rostenberg 
pronouncing her a psychic of considerable ability, a compliment she never forgot. While denying she was a full-blown spiritualist, Mrs. Rosenberg said she did not experience on one occasion a spirit manifestation of the spectral sort. Her aunt, she admitted, was a practicing psychic healer in Gibbon's mind and to any UFO buff worth his salt. The possible flaw in the strange affair at Renton was that it had a George Adamski smell, the American who at the time was a darling of England's occult society. Well, you do see this sometimes is bleeding over between between unusual belief systems and these UFOs, this whole kind of spiritual UFO connection. Uh, maybe these people are just more open to that. I, you know, open to seeing these things. I don't know. Gross took Rostenberg's claim of having psychic powers and supernatural before her sighting as a negative, but in the FSR article he quoted Wilford Daniels thought it might be just the opposite. He speculated that these are exactly the kind of earthlings the spacemen want to visit, but it, but could it not be that just because of their peculiar powers of mental perception, spiritualists and those with psychic sensibilities may be the very people better equipped than anybody else to be sought out or inspected at close quarters, but alien visitors in flying saucers. Now, we've gone through this whole thing where uh, Nolan, Gary Nolan did the... Uh, the experiments there at Stanford on the people who had reportedly been injured through UFO contact. And then they all talked also talked about in that article about it seemed like people who had these sightings also had a greater development in certain areas of the brain, maybe associated with uh, insightfulness, uh, I don't know, spiritualism, whatever. This, this idea, I would just call it thinking outside the box. Maybe these people are just more open uh, to seeing this stuff, and that's why they're able to see it. They don't just dismiss it out of hand. I'm not sure. But it's interesting that she has these personality traits to talk about here in this article. I, I thought this is a pretty decent article. They've got a lot of reference stuff here that you can look into. It's got uh, links to the old to the old article. Uh, it has her description here. It says, To my amazement, they're suspended on the top of the roof of this old farm was this object I can only describe as a huge Mexican hat. And that's how she described it. It was that shape, without the baubles. It must have been 15 to 20 yards from where I stood. I, it covered the roof, so in circumference it must have been about 60 feet. It was enormous. The people in the spacecraft were just looking out. I could see them from the waist to the top of their heads. They were very beautiful people. They had long golden hair, and they just looked at us. Their eyes, the expression in their eyes, were full of compassion. And then all of a sudden, I felt the tension leaving me and I felt movement, and I turned around to touch my children. When I looked again, it was gone. Moments later, her younger son pointed it out there. It circled around the farm three times, then it just shot straight up and away. Now, you know, she says she interprets the look that these things have at her as compassion, but maybe that's just her, you know, projecting her own empathy. It says the account from the two shows differ from the original version documented by Gavin Gibbons on several details and none of the other subsequent events or sightings were discussed. The part about Jesse seeing the saucer ascend then running inside to look for a pencil was dropped but instead remains outside for the entire sighting. Also when seen again the saucer makes not one and a half circles but three around the forum on its exit but perhaps that's an important difference. Yeah they're comparing uh, they're comparing her interview from 1954 to 1976 it does sound like her story stayed pretty much the same i mean i guess you could imagine that there might be a few little details here and there that might 
that might uh, disappear over uh, 22 years. But I think, you know, myself, just looking at this very first impression, this first account, just immediately after it happened, is what is the most important one to me. It goes on, it says, 30 years later, new details emerge, and then it talks a little bit about, about um, how she felt afterwards, having feeling some tingles and, and some of the psychological impressions, I think, that she uh, could remember just after this thing happened. You know, I, sometimes time has a way of changing our memories. The most important a part of this whole story to me is just how this UFO just showed up at these folks' house uh, perched itself on top of the house. I mean, you, you have to wonder, what's the point? Was it there to abduct somebody? What, what what exactly was going on with this thing? But it's almost like once you make eye contact with these things, maybe that's when uh, it shut down any plans for them to come in and take a person out. I don't know. But they did have repeated sightings after that. That was also cool. Uh, it, whether this was just a UFO hotspot or whether these sightings were attached you know, somehow with these Rosenbergs, it doesn't really say. But there's a lot of there's a lot of good information in this article. You have links to uh, three different. You have links to three different interviews. You know, right after it first happened in 1954, then again in 1976, and then finally in 2015. And it looks to me like the the basic elements of the story stay the same this whole time. You know, this this person's been affected by this uh, really strange up close UFO encounter over the course of what what 70 years and she'd never gone back on her story that's the most important part to me it's got a picture of the family here you would think that one member of that family would have come forward and said well you know this thing's not real uh this is all made up my mom she's a little bit wacky or whatever but you have the same story basic same story being told uh, over and over over the course of 60 70 years of this person's life very interesting story that's the Jesse Rostenberg, a 1954 UFO encounter. I'll leave the links to Ko-Fi. You can check it out there and read for yourself. Uh, this, these old reports to me are so much fun to go back and see how people reacted, you know, back before all the new technology, before drones, before uh, the moon landing, before a lot of this stuff. These UFOs were around, and they were contacting people, and they were affecting people's lives. Until next time, this is UFO Warning. Over and out.